You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense with your host, Doug Thorpe. Here's Doug. Well, hello again, everyone. This is Doug Thorpe, and you are listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense. Today, we're going to dive into an idea that uh, I think sometimes gets buried too easily when we uh, talk about helping people become better leaders. But the one thing I want to differentiate today, and my guest is a specialist in this, has actually written a book about it. I think when you become a manager of managers, you've got a different ball game. It's not the same as working with frontline direct reports. Um, I think it's a different ball game when everyone that is a direct report to you is a manager. So with that, I want to introduce my guest today, Julian Chapman. And Julian, welcome to the show. It's great to be here, Doug. Thanks very much for having me. Yeah, Julie and I got to meet a couple of weeks ago, and maybe at this point it might have been months. I don't know. The, the queue has been long, but uh, uh, you are calling from Toronto, and uh, tell us a little bit about first about your own career background and upbringing, so to speak, to get you where you are now. Well, it's interesting. I, you know, we, we talked about the book, and, and I refer to it as the managerial leadership journey. And it has been very much a journey for me. So, uh, so it started off, you know, I grew up in a, in a farming community and like so many just had to get out of there. And I joined the army when I was quite young, 17 years old, joined as in the rank and file as a private soldier. And then, uh, and, and that was, uh, that was sort of a, the big eye opener for me the big wide world. And then uh, over time, I eventually commissioned as a, uh, as a lieutenant in the Canadian army and then gradually went up from there. But, uh, but over time, what it was, was this, uh, my career was about building leaders. And, and I spent a lot of time doing it in the military. And, uh, and as I tried to figure out how can I best take that experience and that expertise, then I, I sort of said, okay, well, I really enjoy working with leaders and helping leaders to grow and develop. So then I, I branched out into, and, and the civilian world as, as my full-time commitments came to an end with the army. As a part-timer, I had the, my army career, and then I got into the, the realm of leadership development in the corporate world. And, uh, and, and one of the things about that is, is uh, when you're training leaders, uh, you have these great moments, these terrific moments of, uh, of enlightenment amongst the leaders and they, they go away and then they run smack into a wall when they get into their organizations. And so m a lot of my career now is about consulting around the systemic issues that get in the way of creating great places to work that deliver the strategy. So, so that's, that's kind of in a nutshell. Uh, where this is, where this journey has taken me, but it's been a journey. Yeah. Well, and you know, first, let me say thank you for your service. And I, I realized it was in the Canadian military, but same, same, you have a great organization and a lot of good uh, tradition and legacy there. And it is interesting is so often, and, you know, with my own experience in the military coming out and, and you, you realize, especially as a commissioned officer, so much about your work is leadership. And it, it really is a, a focus area that when you hit the corporate world, the 
focus on leadership is often given a second seat or not even a focus. It's let's get the work done. And I, I, I definitely found that as a bit of a conundrum when I came out and went into the civilian work. It, it, was a, it was definitely a mindset shift. And then I was asking those around me, you know, as we did the work, well, what about the leadership? And they were going, what are you talking about? You know, and it was almost an afterthought. And I think it, you know, there are clearly a lot of um, so-called Fortune 500 companies that have, have done good work in, in creating leadership development programs. And they recognize the appropriateness of doing that to help those that have taken on management jobs to be better equipped. But I do think there, back to my original point in the intro, I think there's a, there's a disconnect when an executive's role is more about managing managers than, than anybody else. So uh, talk to us a little more about your own experience in, in that, in, in the revelation of that reality. Well, it's, um, you know, it's, if I go back to, to where you first started off, I, what I find in organizations is, is that, you know, I have a set of expertise, you know, finance, HR, whatever the case may be, and that becomes my technical know-how. And then in order to get more money, I have to take over a team. And now it's about managing the task and leading the people. But if I don't make that shift, then I'm always going to be pulled back by my technical expertise. And I value being a technocrat and, and lose sight of bringing the people and the task together. And, and that becomes exacerbated as you go further up through the organization. The pain that organizations face and the pain that employees face is the pain that is caused by bad management. And I, I, use a, I use a euphemism, uh, I, I refer to it, there are no bad organizations, only bad managers. Um, and that's a bit of a spin on uh, Field Marshal Slim's, there are no bad regiments, only bad officers. But, but it's very true. It's not the employee's problem, it's actually management's problem. Mm-hmm. And, and we have a, that sort of that first frontline leadership role is, is there to ensure the execution but the rest of the organization is to make them make clear the path and provide the direction and the and the vision and all of those things, and they don't do it. And so then the the, the poor the poor individuals further down are just trying to make do. So what's happened is is that um, that we we tend to focus when we do leadership development, and I've seen it time and time again. I've taught great programs, and you know with some of the great. Uh, the great programs that are out there, but it's all about managing and leading that team of direct reports, not about what do we have to do to set the organization up appropriately. And then you get all the way to the top and, you know, the old, the old line, the fish rots from the head. Well, if the CEO is not mm-hmm. going to hold his or her people accountable, then everything starts to fall apart. So, uh, I know there's a there's you know there's books behind me here on the bookshelf that are that are all about leadership, but very few talk about this critical piece of managing managers, and and how do you actually manage managers or lead leaders? And I use the terms interchangeably because one is not more important than the other. You have to have both. 
You have to have management and you have to have leadership and you have to bring those two tensions together, the task and the people together to be successful. And so there, uh, there's just not enough discussion about managing managers. And I would add, there's also very little discussion about a profession of managerial leadership, which is another keystone to my book, that we have to get professional and that we have to learn by our mistakes and that it is a journey. I've made all the mistakes in the book. Uh, pardon the pun, but I've made all the mistakes uh, in my in my military career, in my civilian career. But I have to have learned along the way. And it's about not being a perfectionist. Perfection's a, a great target, but it's about continuous improvement. And we don't do that either. We instead we we create programs, uh, Kaizen programs, or these programs or those programs around continuous improvement. But we don't look at what we have to do is continuously improve our people and their circumstance. Our world would be a better place if we actually took that seriously, quite frankly. Yeah. Well, in, in parallel with all that, I often talk to people about the evolution of, of a management chain. And to your point, the, the technician that is a really good contributor on a team gets recognized for that. And when there's a need for a supervisor, we promote the brightest bulb in the string, right? We, we give our best producer, our smartest technician, the job of being supervisor. And oftentimes, at least in modern business, all we've accomplished is we've ruined our best producer. <laughs> exactly. And, and so often... So often it happens, and quite often they don't value doing that work. In other cases, yes, we can give them more skills and knowledge, but the other is that they may not have the cognitive capacity to be able to pull all that together. Exactly. And that's a piece that we don't talk about. We don't talk about the nature of cognitive capacity and the nature of complexity in the various levels of the role. Well, and we just... I told the story. I had an experience uh, several years ago. I was invited by a large global um, engineering and construction company to lead a two and a half day class they had on first time managers. And they had a very nice program that was already pre-packaged, pre-designed, pre-written. They just were short in the HR world uh, at that time needed some help to augment as an instructor and, and bring this material to a group. So I agreed. I showed up and they had an offsite facility arranged and we had about 60 people in the room, a good sized group. And as I said, these were predominantly engineers and they're all getting this indoctrination into frontline management. We're going through this book and we made it through the morning section had a nice lunch break, good talk, got about halfway through the afternoon and took a break. And I realized that there was this line forming at the podium. And I thought, okay, well, this is interesting. And first person that stepped up, I said, what, what you need? Got a question? And he goes, yeah, where do I resign from being a manager? <laughs> he said, I don't like what I'm hearing here. And it's not you, Doug. It's nothing personal. I'm just listening to this material. He said, I don't want to do all this stuff. I don't want to be this guy. And I thought, okay, well, uh, let me, if you don't mind standing aside, I'll take the next question and we'll talk. And the, 
the next person said, I got the same question. And then it just went down the line like dominoes. The whole line was there to say, I want to quit. I don't want to be a manager. And uh, I went back to the HR folks that night and I said, you guys have a problem. Um, I don't think these people have been, you know, properly briefed on the expectations. And so the next morning, a, a more senior HR person showed up and said, you know, let's talk about this and, and, you know, talk successfully talk most people off the ledge, but, um, I, I, it is an awakening. The point of the story is it's a pretty major awakening. If you are that top producer and you get fully indoctrinated into what it means to become a manager and ultimately a leader. It's very true. And, and, you know, for example, the biggest example I can think of around that is, is in sales organizations. Oh yeah. We take our best sales person and they're doing brilliant job. And then we say, well, you've got to take this team and they're too interested in, in, in actually getting out and selling. So then what we do is we, we make them have a book of business at the same time as they're supposed to be leading the sales team and providing the care and nurturing of the sales team. And then we wonder why things start to go, uh, go sideways. And it's all because we're back again to we've got, you know, we've got to deliver that output, which yeah. is, uh, which is, uh, you know, which is one of the, one of the things, again, that, that I talk about with our clients is understanding the difference between output and effectiveness. And that, and that we need to really begin to spend more time talking about people's effectiveness in fulfilling their role rather than a number that is easily quantified uh, that someone's doing because it's how well did they do it in delivering that number. You know, when things go wrong, for example, COVID gave us a great example, right? right. We, we measured ourselves against 2019 in 2020, and we said, oh, gosh, our, our outputs dropped and, you know, battened down the hatches and all these sort of things, and you guys work harder. And we didn't spend enough time actually assessing the effectiveness of our, our teams and our management in how well they led during that. Just how did you hit the numbers? Did you hit the numbers? Yeah. And so, so we need to get better at that, I think. And that's, that's part and parcel of this. Yeah. Well, in continuing on the theme, the idea of you take that technocrat that's the great producer and you make them a manager, if they survive that, they get rewarded with what? Another promotion. And now they, they start to become perhaps manager of managers and they might even go through several more iterations of that. And then there's a pivot that I see all of the time as they move continually up the organization, the expectation is much less about that output and production. And it becomes more about strategic thinking, help us build the strategy, help us do our long range visioning and there's a, at least in my humble opinion, a very poor transition of that expectation. But the person is feeling the bind. They're feeling the pressure from above to do more of that, but they haven't been told what that is. So they improperly translate that into I'm failing on the technical side. So now I double down on my technical focus. Exactly. 
which is exactly 180 degrees away from the goal the senior managers are asking for. And it's, it's a real pressure cooker of a, of a position in an organization. No, it's, it's very true. The analogy, you know, I, I talked about, the, you know, that having that technical know-how, yet my job is now managing the task and leading the people. When the leading the people doesn't go well, then I go to managing the hell out of the task. And when that doesn't go well, I may as well do the job myself, right? And, and I think part of our challenge to your, to your point about the progression of someone who doesn't necessarily, ha- you know, is coming up through the organization, if their manager has not been coaching and assessing their effectiveness and helping them along on their path, then what we end up doing is we end up putting that individual into a role or or and demanding more of them. And when they don't deliver, we just kind of move them sideways, the lateral arabesque as it's referred to, right? Have I got a job for you over here? Rather than having the necessary conversations. Because back to my point earlier about cognitive capacity, it's not something we can influence. It matures over time. And so, so we have to give people time. And if we put them into roles that are too big for them, Right. It's like it's like they're they're lost. You know, the analogy I draw is is that you need to give people clear sandboxes and not sandboxes that are so small that they can't maneuver in. Like, you know, the big the old baby Huey cartoon where they just can't fit and you don't want to put them in the Sahara. You need to, to recognize that you're giving them roles and giving them the resources that they need in those roles for them to be able to maneuver around. And we don't do that very well. And that's, again, a failure of management. It's not a failure of the individual. We put too much on the individual and not enough onto the management. Yeah, I I agree. And inevitably, what I see unfolding is this this blend of the tug to fall back to the technical uh, comfort zone. What will happen is, so I've got a team of supervisors that report to me and they bring me problems that they're having. If I haven't broken out of my own mold and shell from my heritage, I'm inclined to just say, oh, I can fix that. Here you go. And boom, there's your answer and and solve the problem. Well, there's no coaching. There's no teaching. There's no development. There's no mentoring in that process. If I just, you come to me with a problem, I give you the answer. Unless you spend an incredible amount trying to infer how I got there. And that may be nothing but guesswork. But if, if I was doing a better job of leading you as my direct, I would take your problem and I'd say, well, gee, Julian, walk me through what you've done so far. What have you considered up to this point? And I would get you to tell me the pieces you've already thought through. Then I would say something like, well, do you think there's somebody else you could ask about this and get you to think? And then, and what questions would you ask them if you went to see them about this? What would that be? And what else have you not thought about that you might consider? And in fact, what you're doing is sharing your own decision tree logic on how you would get to the solution without just giving them the solution. Exactly, exactly. 
I think it was Marshall Goldsmith who's, uh, you know, in his, in his book, What Got You Here Won't Get You There, refers to the need for the manager to try to add value all the time by putting their own expertise on the, on, out there in front of their employees. And we need to back off that because we need to think of this in a longer term journey, not the minute to minute firefight, right. but the longer term battle. Right. And the further you up in the organization you are, the further you have to be looking down the road, looking down the road 10, 20 years into what's the development plan for my organization. You know, as a CEO, I need to be thinking that far out what needs to happen. And we need to take that longer term view and, and recognize it. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. It happens far too often. And the other thing that we see is, is that employees are really good at coming to their boss and saying, this is all messed up. Boss, fix it. And then managers immediately go, okay, I'm going to go fix that. Rather than going, turning around and saying, okay, what is your best advice? What is your best advice as to how to fix this? And we institute with our clients the notion that every employee is accountable to their manager to give their best advice. And it's absolutely critical. It's the keys to engagement if we get our managers to a position of demanding best advice from their employees. Now, as one as the CEO of one of the major international banks said, I love getting best advice, but I got to put my tin hat on because that best advice is probably about something that I screwed up on and I need to let go of my ego. So as leaders, the leadership side of us is, we have to be enlightened in our approach. Yeah. We have to be authentic and right. really have an understanding of who I am. What are my strengths and my weaknesses? I talk about this in the book. You know, as a young platoon commander, you know, I thought I was the greatest thing since sliced bread. And I would try and prove that all the time. And I wasn't. And it's just, it's a false flag. It's yeah. the wrong thing to be doing. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. Well, Julian, I tell you what, we're up on a break point here. When we come back after this message, we're going to dive in a little bit more of the other elements in the book and helping leaders figure out how to become managers of managers. We'll be right back. Business is all about solving complex problems as fast as you can create them. Become the best problem solver by leading others to greatness too. And the first step is going to DougThorpe.com. Doug Thorpe is known globally for coaching entrepreneurs and business leaders, improving their performance and the work output of everyone surrounding them. You can find health, wealth, and happiness by learning to lead others to health, wealth, and happiness. Go to DougThorpe.com now and order Doug's books or hire him to coach your managers. That's Doug, T-H-O-R-P-E.com. All right, everyone, we're back. This is Leadership Powered by Common Sense. I'm your host, Doug Thorpe, and today I've got Julian Chapman visiting with me. We're talking about a uh, concept that is often sort of woven into solutions about leadership development. It's the idea of managing managers. So Julian, before the break, we were talking, you, you were telling a bit of a war story about your military being a young platoon leader, lieutenant. And um, I, I have a similar thing that came to mind. One of my first assignments at my duty station was as a mess officer. So I had a giant dining hall, but I had a sergeant that was really responsible for it, the mess sergeant. And when he reported for duty, 
I could tell he didn't like me at all. And uh, he was kind of bristled up and uh, just sitting there scowling at me as I tried to walk through everything. And finally, I said, Sergeant, it looks like we've got an attitude thing here. You want to tell me what that is? And he said, sir, I don't like any officers in my mess hall. Well, I was a freshly minted honor graduate from the Army Food Service School, so I knew all the regs and I knew all the procedures. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, Sergeant. I said, here's the deal. I said, uh, I'm going to honor that. I don't have to be in your mess hall except for one thing. By regulation, I have to sign all your requisitions or you're not going to have a crumb of food to serve anybody if I don't sign the paperwork. And he thought a minute. He goes, yes, sir. I said, so here's the deal. You call me when you got the paperwork ready. I am going to come in your mess hall, but I promise I'll sign the paperwork. I'll work with you and then I'll leave. And then you give me a top-notch facility and I'll be fine with that. And he said, all right, we got a deal. So first day came, he called me and said, Lieutenant paperwork's ready. I walked over there and it was all laid out and I signed it and I got up and walked out. No, no words were spoken. Next day, he calls me again, another round of paperwork, ready to go. I get over there, sign it. No words. I just turn around, walk out. Third day, I get over there. There's these flavored coffees and pastries laid out on the table in front of the paperwork. I sign the paperwork, put the pen down, get up and walk out. And he goes, sir, sir, wait a minute. Uh, you want to try some of this stuff? I'm, I'm experimenting with our, our breakfast. And I, I'm, I said, no, Sergeant, you don't want the officers in your mess hall. And he said, oh, it's okay. Why don't you have a seat? Try this out. <laughs> and, and, you know, pretty soon we were, we were big buddies. And it was like, you know, come on over anytime. And, you know, one of the things we talk about um, extensively with our, with our clients, and I talk about it in the book, is this notion of accountability and authority. And, and, and it's important to recognize that we have to define what people are accountable for and what commensurate authority they have. But that doesn't remove, so back to your story, that doesn't remove the need for our managerial leaders to develop rapport. You can't rely on your rank. You can't rely on your title. You have to develop the rapport with people. As I love to say, if you don't like, and and this is, I, I suppose, appropriate, if you don't like leadership, get out, get out, if you don't like people, sorry, if you don't like people, get out of the management kitchen, right? Yeah. Just get out yeah. of it. And there's far too many people that really don't value this. They're, they're technocrats. That's good. We need them. And, they, and, they, and they, they love to be execution. But if you really cannot engage with people and you're not comfortable with it and you don't value it, then you need to get out of there because you have to develop a rapport. I know a guy, I heard him as a keynote one time. He had written a book. He was supposedly an HR executive. And he said the title of the book was, I love human resources. I just don't like the people. <laughs> there we go. And, and you know, and, and I, um, I, I, I think one of the challenges is, is that we've relied on human resources to be the defender of the employee at the expense of management. We have damaged trust with management left, right, and center. And so quite often I'm, you know, I'm talking to our clients and, and telling the HR department, you need to recognize 
that with a full accountability management system where managers are held accountable for the output and working behaviors of their direct reports, this is that manager of managers thing, when they're held accountable for the output of their direct reports and the working behaviors, HR will start to wither away. They can no longer be a police and they can no longer be just a service organization. They have to be a partner with management to build trust inside the organization with their management. I had the privilege to uh, engage with a very large global brand a couple of years ago who was launching on a venture to redefine their HR resource. And they wanted the people in the HR team to become bona fide business partners of all the various operating units. So what we did, we facilitated for them a coach the coach learning exercise. Uh, I, it was actually a multi-day event to try to show these HR folks what it meant to be a coach for potentially one of the business leaders in the organization. And so instead of showing up as that compliance administration uh, arm of the law, so to speak, they, they were there to be a, a, a help in coaching through matters of concern and up to and including employee manager disputes and, and being the uh, moderators and mediators of that rather than just the traffic cop administrator and that's and that's to a T. And in fact, Forest and Company, my company, we we deliver a five day training package that certifies HR business partners for that very reason. And and but in some cases, it's about giving them the hard skills rather than the soft skills, right? So that they need to understand how to properly structure an organization how to structure an organization around human capability and understanding the elements of structure and, and these sort of things so that they can better partner with the leaders. I mean, right now, uh, structure is based on titles, but yeah. people don't know the difference between the titles. What's the difference between the work of a director and the work of a vice president? Right. Right. And nobody spends the time. And this is what HR has to be able to help management to articulate. But it's then up to management to hold those directors accountable for being directors and those vice presidents for being vice presidents and vice presidents not doing director's work and directors not trying to do vice president's work. That's what management has to do, giving everybody a role inside the organization and a clear path to, to where their career can go. Right. And, and it, I talked about accountability and, you know, the English language is an advantage sometimes where we, we use terms and they mean different things. And we talk about accountability a lot and we talk about responsibility. Problem is, there are two words, but if you look up accountability in the dictionary, it says see responsibility. And you look up responsibility, it says see accountability. But if you bear with me for a moment while I try to define them differently than we see them, responsibility, and we talk about this, you know, we talk about, you know, she's a very responsible young lady or whatever the case may be. Responsibility is a personal feeling of obligation. Accountability is the component of a relationship between a manager and a direct report. And if organizations can start to understand the difference between these, 
they will find that they can start to remove a lot of their pain because they rely solely on people's sense of responsibility. The analogy I use for responsibility is if you've ever seen eight-year-olds playing soccer in North America or football in the rest of the world, right? There, You have a group that are clustered around the ball. You have some that are picking flowers. You have some whose parents have taught them that at all costs, they must score. So they're not going to pass the ball to anybody. They're just going to get that ball and they're going to run with it. That's what a responsibility-based organization looks like. We're not sure what our role is. We're all chasing the same things. Whereas a professional soccer team, everybody knows the position that they play. We pass the ball back and forth. And when we score, we score as a team. And this responsibility thing is essential for us to understand in this realm of diversity, equity, and inclusion, because everybody's different. So we have to have accountability before we can rely on responsibility. But we get that all mixed up. We rely, we, that's a great, that person's a great hire. You know, they're, they, they get out there and they, they just dig in and they do stuff. That's a great responsibility, but not everybody's got the same sense of responsibility. Yeah. So as I had a, leaders, guest, we I had have a guest on my show not long ago, his name's Jeff Cohen. He wrote a book called Count Honorable. <laughs> and his mission was to totally disrupt and, and dispel what modern business thinks of when you start talking about accountability. Because inevitably, if if you just throw out that word to somebody and say, Tell me what accountability means to you in a in a few short seconds, they're going to get around to the punitive aspects of it. You miss the mark. You miss the goal. You, you know, you're less than, and that is no way to motivate a workforce. And um, I I loved what Jeff advocated. He said, and and I think it actually is running very close to what you're describing if you get people to embrace their personal sense of that responsibility or in his word, count on ability, you can count on me, boss. If, if you focus on building that aspect of your team and your culture, the scorekeeping aspect of that and the punitive aspect of you missed the mark, that comes as a separate, more of a coaching moment than a, than a uh, you know overarching theme. Well, and 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 I, and I would agree absolutely. And and uh, you know we we take it a little deeper and and suggest that yes, there is this connotation that accountability has a negative. It's immediately about the negative consequences. The old truth or consequences TV show, which neither of us remember, right? Um, but nah, but never heard of it. <laughs> But, but that, that it's always seen as a negative, but consequence is a spectrum. In the truest sense of the word, it is a spectrum. There are positive consequences and there are negative consequences. And there's a midpoint and everything on the positive side goes all the way to, uh, goes all the way to, to promote, oh, pardon me, to bonus. Big bonus and promotion. Big bonuses and everything on the negative side goes all the way to firing. Out the door. But managers... Yeah. <laughs> Managers and leaders need to manage that spectrum. And if I spend all my time on the negative side, you know, you've got kids, right, Doug? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, as a parent, I'm pretty good on the negative side. But, you know, after a while, they stop listening. So 
to use Ken Blanchard's line, catch them doing something right. Spend all your energy you can on the positive side so that when you go over into the negative, you will actually have an impact. And so that means that our managers have to focus their energy on monitoring and coaching. But they don't see it that way. Back to our conversation before the break. As a technocrat, I'm not interested in that. I just want to go and look at spreadsheets or fiddle with these wires or whatever the case may be. But we have to get back to that profession of managerial leadership. And our managers of managers have to be ensuring that our managers are actually doing that, that they're monitoring people, they're coaching them, and they're assessing their effectiveness. And, and demanding, back to my point earlier about best advice, demanding best advice bubble up from the bottom. I don't know, but... No, go ahead. Well, I was going to ask, if you were to go into a, a, a brand new client organization, the organization not brand new, but it's new to you as a client, and you hear a description of classic organizational speak about everything they're doing with the way they promote people, the way they recognize performance and manage expectation, et cetera, et cetera. What are some of the classic roadblocks that you run into that need to get busted through before people start understanding these ideas? Well, I, I suppose uh, from that standpoint, um, part of it is just our own mental models. Okay. So sometimes it's about unlearning as much as it is about learning. And, and particularly, you know, when we use the term accountability, it conjures up images of someone, you know, with a whip. Uh, you know, this dark satanic mill sort of thing. But when I go into a client, the first thing I ask about is the strategy, not the strategic plan. And there's a difference between a strategic plan and a strategy. What does the organization really want to be? And, and so a lot of my work is about defining the strategy, helping the organization to articulate the strategy. Because Far too often, and clients that I've uh, been into, they go out and they they do this strategic planning offsite, and you know we walk away with a vision and a mission and values. <laughs> Don't forget and a the binder. binder, or it hangs on the wall, and nobody pays any attention to it. Yeah. People need that because the strategy becomes the criteria that they use in order to make decisions. And so it cascades down from the organization. So, and values in particular, like we use values now, it's, they're kind of used as a, as a bit of a lever now, and it leans over towards the values so that we can attract people to our business. Yeah. So we use that term. And so it's a marketing tool, yeah. but it's more important to have values that indicate what is acceptable behavior and what are the expectations of the business. Values on the wall need to be directly linked to performance management, just as a simple example. But we need to really understand what we are as an organization. And they don't spend time. I just spent, uh, spent the morning with a client, you know, out there racing down the road, but they don't know the direction that they're going and they're going in many different directions. So articulation of strategy is critical and then carefully structuring the organization to deliver the strategy. And then the next stage is the leadership behaviors. 
that deliver the strategy because it's the leaders that will deliver the strategy. We can't rely on it being the employees. They don't know what the strategy is. And far too often, we don't break down the strategy to make it make sense to the front line. I use the analogy in my book of a brilliant uh, CEO and she, she was running a financial institution and she said, I wanna make the branches sing. Well, that got stovepiped in you know, the, grand, uh, the grand exposure of these, uh, these big meetings and the frontline employees in the branches are saying, okay, so when are we getting singing lessons? When are the pianos coming in? So what she meant at all, it's because the management didn't take it apart. The job of management is to take that strategy apart, make it real, create a thorough understanding for our employees. The examples of when, when this isn't done is everything from we're not, hitting our, we're not hitting our numbers to we have a disengaged workforce to there's no innovation going on inside the organization to we're not taking care of our customers. Those are the top four pain points the CEOs talk to me about. Yeah, that's their pain. It, and I agree with you that with that idea of breaking it down, I, I was engaged for a number of years, actually embedded with a large global brand. And one of the things they were doing, they were going through a, a giant reorganization. But at the same time, they wanted to do a culture shift. They had done this big two year study and they said, if we don't change our culture, we are not going to attract and retain the modern workforce, period. That was in which is a bold and noble acknowledgement. So they embarked on a plan to say, well, what it what will it take to attract and engage and retain the new modern workforce? So they got it all figured out and they laid out this leadership framework that needed to be adopted. So all managers and anyone with an executive title was put through this indoctrination of this new leadership framework. Well, guess what? Right away, I mean, day one, we had a vocabulary challenge. Well, that word doesn't mean that to me. What does it mean to you? And it, if, if we're going to say empower, what does that mean? You know, and in my organization, I can only do so much empowerment. In your organization over there, you can do more. And it was this whole quagmire of clarity that got lost right below the penthouse suite. It's the, um, the point that I make in the, in the book and I make it to all our clients is words are analogies for thought. And if we expect people to understand our words, we better be able to unpack them. We live in an age of buzzwords yeah. where we just toss off a term. I, I, I used to love it in the army. You know, when I finally retired as a, as a brigadier, I'd go to these briefings and there'd be all these buzzwords. And I'd go, what does that word mean? Well, what does that acronym mean? And they couldn't tell you. It was just a shorthand that they were using, codified amongst themselves. And that's really dangerous because the only way to get two people working together is through communication. And if we aren't good at that, that's where things go bad. Yeah, no, that's right. And I am reminded of a, a favorite phrase that I, I use a lot with my leader clients, and that is um, a confused mind says no. Exactly. And as a leader, if you can't create perfect, crystal clear clarity on the direction you want to go, the, the vision, mission, and purpose of what you're trying to serve, you're 
people are going to get frozen in the middle. And what I mean by that is I think if we do a reasonably good job hiring people, they're going to want to show up and do good work. They're going to want to do the right thing fundamentally principle. So if you can't clarify what the right thing is, they're not going to do anything exactly. because they don't want to do the wrong thing. <laughs> and, 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 you know, I, I, I glanced over it when I talked about strategy, structure, and leadership behaviors, but structure is about defining what people are actually accountable for. Not what are the activities that they do, but what it, what's the end state that I need you to deliver here? And spending the time to do that and recognizing that it doesn't all work up and down. It works laterally. So what are the authorities that are going to be required laterally for me to get service in, uh, you know, in, in sales over marketing who are over here because I need them to help me deliver my accountabilities. And all of that work is the work of management. But we're too busy dancing around our technocratic uh, world instead of focusing on good management. Yeah. Good stuff, Julian. And I tell you, we're up on time here for today, but uh, thank you so much for sharing. If people are interested in getting a hold of you, what's the best way to do that? Well, um, we have Forest A-N-D-C-O, Forest with two R's. Forestandco.com is our website. And then I also have a website for the book, managerialleadershipjourney.com. So those are two ways to get a hold of us. Um, and you can find me on Twitter and you know, all of those, all the usual social media pieces. But, uh, but I really thank you for the opportunity, Doug. And there's, there's a great, uh, some great examples there that, uh, that we were able to riff on. So that was yeah, brilliant. I, I agree. And, and thank you for sharing with us. And uh, as is always the case, folks, if you didn't catch those links, we'll have them in the show notes. And do uh, do reach out and check out the work that Julian's done. And uh, again, I want to highlight the theme of today's show. If, if you're in a leadership and executive position, or if you own the business for that matter, and you become a manager of managers, it's a different ballgame than the frontline supervisory role that you might have, or, or back in the day when uh, you and I were platoon leaders in the military. Exactly. <laughs> it's a whole different uh, different ball game. But Julian, thank you again. And I do want to remind everybody, if you're listening on an audio stream, we do have a video version of this episode over on YouTube, channel by the same name, Leadership Powered by Common Sense. It's been a pleasure having you here with us today. Uh, hop over there or on social media or anywhere where you grab this episode and leave us a comment. Uh, give me some feedback. Let me know if you've got an idea or a recommendation for a guest that ought to be on the show. Or heck, if you're the guy that wants to be a guest on the show, let me know. We'll talk. We'll see what we can do and look forward to uh, ha having you with us again soon. Have a great day. And for now, I'm going to say goodbye. You've been listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense, hosted by Doug Thorpe. If you would like to know more about the coaching and advisory services he provides, visit DougThorpe.com.